0: There's a science to being a professional salesperson. You have to constantly practice and constantly be a student. That desire, that hunger to improve, if you're not thinking I can 10X or I can 2X my results, then you're not thinking big
1: enough. Anthony Garcia is a big thinker. As a salesperson, he has reached the pinnacle of success in multiple industries. Now, as an expert in sales management, Anthony teaches people how to increase their skills, achieve their biggest goals and motivate themselves to peak performance. Whether you are in sales or sales management, Anthony can teach you how to catapult commissions for yourself or your team. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We have a fantastic guest for you today. His name is Anthony Garcia, and he has been a top performer in both sales and sales management now for about the last 16, 17 years. Anthony's time with Cutco goes back to the year 2003. He was a Cutco rep and manager for about a five-year period, 2003 to 2008, reaching as high as the level of district manager in California. Anthony graduated from Azusa Pacific University, a degree in communications, also has his MBA. And he, as I said, has been a top performer in sales and sales management uh, his entire career. After Cutco, he worked at Paychecks Payroll Services, where he worked in both a sales role and in a leadership role. He ultimately got into the medical device business, was a top sales rep for a number of years, and then was a regional manager or has been a regional manager for a number of years as well in the medical device industry. He's been in that industry now for almost eight years. Anthony just wrote a book. It's called Catapulting Commissions. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. He's got a lot of great insights on how someone can be great in sales and also how leaders can bring the most out of their sales people. So I'm really excited to be able to have him with us here today. Anthony Garcia, thanks for making time for the podcast.
0: Dan, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I always look for opportunities to give back to the Cutco community.
1: Yeah, well, it's so awesome to have you here, Anthony. I know we've got a lot of stuff we can talk about, and this is going to be a great, great conversation. So why don't we start out by hearing about your time with Vector? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know how you got started and what were some of the early experiences you had?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely would say this. The experiences and lessons have been lifelong. Summer of two thousand and three it's really unique how I found vector. I was walking on campus at Azusa Pacific and somebody handed me a flyer, just a piece of paper, had a dollar amount, looking for summer work and I knew the summer before I worked as a janitor at my church. Now I love my church, I love the people, but I did not enjoy being a janitor it's, it's not it wasn't a, it wasn't something that I found enjoyable at the time, and uh, I, I wanted to do something else so I was proactively looking for a summer job i was interviewing at, at different restaurants at different retail stores i actually interviewed to be a telemarketer and was told no so there was a lot of things that i was you know just i couldn't land something and i got a flyer and knowing no better i was like hey you know what man these people are looking for work i'll work whatever you need me to do and so in the may of 2003 i walked into ventura county into a, a cutco training class learned everything i needed to learn about my knives within my three days and went out and, and had an amazing fast start, ended up becoming an FSM or a field sales manager within an eight-week period, and continued the progression from territory manager, field sales manager, worked in the pilot office for a little bit, ran my own office, developed some branch managers. And it's been 12 years since I've walked away from the Cutco community, and some of my best friends are still from the Cutco community. And that's, that was probably my biggest valuable takeaway, was the network and the relationships
1: that I've experienced. Yeah, well, it's you brought your best to your role here, which is what helped people to connect with you so much. I mean, it's part of why I still know you to this day is that, uh, you know, I had a favorable impression of who you were when you were here in Cutco and the effort you brought to the job and the quality of work that you did. So I think that's a testament to you, as well as to Cutco. Were there any particular transformational moments along the way in your Cutco career that stand out? yeah you know
0: honestly I, I never really knew what the concept of a push period was, right? My idea of of like pushing myself to the max was always sports related um but for the very first time I was in an environment where I remember my my former manager Sarah would said, you know this is a two week push period that we're gonna attempt to sell a ten thousand dollar goal per person or or a hundred thousand dollars was the office goal, and I committed the whole process you know I didn't hit my goal and I think I missed it by like eighteen hundred or something but there was times where that was the first time I learned what accountability meant. And I remember, you know, Sarah calling my house and this was back in the days when we had house phones. So I know this is different, but Sarah, I was supposed to be in the office for 7 a.m. phone time, 715. I wasn't there because I was out the night before with Buddy. This was home for summer. I was hanging out late and uh, I hear my house phone ring and I hear my mom answer and I already know my mom and I heard Sarah and my mom walks in angry as heck at me is are you supposed to be at your office making phone calls this morning? Yes, mom, I am. Why are you asleep? Get up, get out. And uh, <laughs> it was truly, it was like a, holy crap. There's, there is somebody here who's counting on me and relying on me. And as a 19-year-old kid, that gave me a level of accountability that I've never really experienced at that point. And so as I went through that process, I definitely matured from learning what it meant to be a part of a team that was greater than myself, learning what it meant to keep my word, to say what I was going to do and actually do it. And then, you know, the, the ups and downs of the commission pendulum. And I learned first in Cutco. I remember having good weeks, I remember having bad weeks, sometimes wanting to quit on myself and having a support system that I developed there was, was really key. I mean, that's probably one of those life lessons I first learned at 19 about holding yourself accountable, being part of a team, And doing something greater than yourself. And that was the first time I learned it outside of sports. Sports gave me a great foundation. But to learn it in business,
1: that really has transferred and become applicable in different parts of my life. Yeah, that's a great insight, Anthony. The whole concept of accountability is critical. And in sales, for many people, sales is sort of a lonely role in that, uh, you know, where salespeople are often striving for their own goals and trying to manage themselves largely, they're, you know, have a great degree of autonomy and flexibility. And we can lose that sense of accountability if we get too caught up in the fact that uh, you're, you're trying to achieve your own goals as a salesperson versus embracing being part of something, being part of a team, being part of an organization, helping others as well. Those things create more accountability. I've worked with many salespeople in Cutco who really embrace the team aspect. I've also worked with some people in Cutco who haven't, who really just focus on their own individual goals and they lose. It's like taking a tool out of their toolbox to keep themselves motivated and, and, you know, striving for the the best that they could do when they take that tool out of being part of something else and being accountable to others as well, I think it's really important to be sharing your goals with others and make sure you create that accountability in whatever role in sales people are in.
0: Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent that that network of working within a group together we achieve more. And I'm sure many of your listeners have all been in sales through Cutco or in some. And you're absolutely right. It is lonely. It is an isolated world. You can be the, your, your biggest fan, your worst critic, all within the span of five minutes. And so to have that network of people who think like you, who are holding you accountable, it truly is the secret weapon to becoming successful. I mean, it was, it's what motivated me to become a district manager with TECO because I, I wanted to pay that back. And I wanted to motivate and, and inspire and teach the people who came through my district how to do
1: what I had done up until that point in my career. Yeah, that's great. It's good to hear. Tell us a little bit about your path after Vector to where you are now. Yeah, so
0: I had a phenomenal time with Vector, and and I was extremely excited about everything I learned. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to move to the next chapter of my life. And I knew I wanted to progress as a quote unquote professional salesperson. So uh, I moved in. I worked with Paychex Payroll, and I spent four years there as a sales representative finished out my last year as a selling, uh, sales manager, which essentially I managed a team also had my own quota was really exciting. There was, I started climbing the ranks and achieving top accolades. And I had my eyes set on a higher level of sales. So then as you know, I went through the business to business world. I'm like, okay, let me, let me crack into this medical device world that I hear so much about. And so once it became time to, to look at medical device opportunities, it truly was a really lengthy interview process. Everybody that I, that was on my team or that I've worked with was a top performer at their previous industry. So it was kind of like you take all the top performers from B2B or, or whatever sales industry, you know, you, a middle tier sales industry, so to speak. And I don't even know if that's appropriate, but you know, that's kind of how we classify it to go into medical device sales where we're selling surgical implants in surgery. To some of the greatest medical minds in, in the country, was a huge transition. So I spent four years as a sales rep in surgery, and I spent the last three and a half years managing the surgical team on the West Coast in Hawaii, which has been a truly a treat to see. You know, for me now to start, you know, picking top performers from each industry. So that's what has happened from
1: my time with Vector to to where I'm at now. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome to hear. I'd really love to hear you know, what are some of the things that you feel like have made people top performers, either for yourself or the people you've managed. You've had this experience selling in the payroll services industry. Mm-hmm. You were a leader there. Then you sold in the medical device. Then you were a regional manager there. So you've got a great perspective on this. You know, what do you feel like are some of the keys to being a top performer in sales? Really good question.
0: It was groundbreaking, which is kind of what led me to write my book. Because as I look back at my career... The keys that made someone a top Cutco sales professional are the same keys that make my number one rep on my team who makes a significant amount of money a top performer. And and it's, one, it's work ethic that isn't shown. And what I mean by that is everyone says, oh, you have to work hard, you have to work hard. And it's really easy to work hard in a group. It's not so easy to work hard by yourself. And so top performers in, in any industry I'll have a conversation with the top performer on my team at the end of my day. Let's say five thirty-six. At five thirty-six a.m., I'm getting an email, a text message, something that says, "Hey, this came to mind. I worked on this overnight. I want to pick your brain before my surgery at seven a.m." And I sit and I think, I'm like, "We just spoke at six p.m. You, like I, were both married. You have a family. You have obligations at home." And so I asked my top performers, "You know, when did you do this? I was so excited about this. I woke up early just to prepare and." that work ethic that people don't see is truly one of the things that, that makes people a top performer. And the other component of that is there's a science to being a professional salesperson. It is a skill that is just like any skill, like weightlifting, like basketball. You have to constantly practice and constantly be a student. And the moment someone says, "You know, I'm a great salesperson, I don't need to learn anymore. If they're in an interview process with me, no matter what their accolades say, I don't move them any further in that process. Because that art and skill of selling is evolving. And I, and I tell my team the best sale takes place when someone doesn't feel like they're being sold to and how that worked 10 years ago doesn't work the same today. And if you're not keeping up with those trends, then you're falling behind. So I think those are the two things that, that I look for that I would say top performers have is work ethic that, that isn't, you know, to be glorified or be acknowledged or recognized. It's just true work ethic.
1: And the other one is, is mastering your craft of being a salesperson. Yeah, those are great insights. The The idea of the behind-the-scenes work ethic that isn't always seen by others, that's a great point. And, and you referenced the idea of preparation being a mm-hmm. part of that. And I think anybody, in whatever role you're in, there are critical times in our days. There are critical times in our weeks where we've got to get it right, whatever it is we're doing. It might be a critical conversation. With somebody, or as a salesperson, right, preparing for a big appointment, a big sales call, where where you know it could be make or break for hitting your goals, and these are times for you to go in fully prepared for that interaction, fully prepared for that conversation. Right, as leaders, we run meetings, we run events, right, and we're all probably good enough to run events off the cuff, but are you really well prepared for your event? That that level of preparation. For what you're doing is something that is a, it, it's one of those unseen things that's a critical piece of success. You know, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that being a key piece for top performers, whether it be in sales or sales leadership. And then that idea of the science of sales, of constantly learning. This is something that I feel like has been a, a real awakening for me in my life. Just from an early age, I got addicted to learning and growth. And I've constantly been striving to improve myself year over year. And when I look at the Cutco business now, I think of a guy like Brandon Brown, who you know, right? Mm-hmm. Brandon was a brand new rep you know, around the time you left the business in your division. Yep. And so you remember him, right? And he has brought that this insatiable desire to improve and really work on his craft. He's the kind of guy who will like sit with other top reps and practice different situations and try to work on the demeanor and the words and getting it all perfect in how he interacts with people. And he asks really deep questions as he's thinking about himself and his business and always trying to improve. And that has enabled him to you know, to significantly increase his results. I once heard somebody say, is it possible to become two times better than you are now, and thus produce two times the results in the same amount of time or effort? And of course, you could do that, you could become twice as good. And you could do it again and again. And you could end up being 10 times better than you are now and having 10x the results in the same amount of time. And, you know, top performers definitely think about that concept and how they can apply that in their own lives, in their own businesses. And I'm sure you have a lot of experience doing that yourself and seeing others do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and and kudos to Brandon. I heard he had a phenomenal year last year. You're absolutely right. That desire, that hunger to improve. If you're not thinking I can 10x or I can 2x my results, then you're not thinking big enough. And I look at sales as a sport. If I'm not thinking I can do it, and, and for, for the organization I work in, my competitor is thinking, so at the end of the day, who's going to win? Am I going to win or my competitor? Because it's not a matter of if somebody's going to do it. It's a matter of when and who. Mm-hmm. And that extra skill of committing to your craft
1: really puts you in position for it. Yeah, excellent. I would love to hear, Anthony, some of the concepts from your book. Uh, I know you've taken time to really put a lot of your best ideas into print and the book's about to come out. Uh, tell us some of the things that people can learn as they read your book. There's a couple components of the book that would really challenge
0: the way we typically think about goals. So the concept of catapulting commissions, achieve your next sales goal. It really is about getting in the psychology of hitting that next sales goal. And by hitting that next sales goal, obviously commissions go up. That's the name of the title. But one of the things that I talk about in the book is is smart goals are not enough, right? And we've heard for years. That everyone has to have a SMART goal, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound. And you'll go through you'll go through companies and organizations. I work for a multi-million dollar organization, and I recently had a memo to attend a webinar to hear about SMART goals. And I wanted to say, hey, this came out in 1981. There's not an amount of technology we have from 1981 that we still use today. We have to think a little further. And so I talk about SMART goals are the foundations. It's the basic, it's the simple concept. To put you on the right path. But mm-hmm. if you just have a smart goal alone, the likelihood of success is very slim. And the analogy I use in the book is I so said, we have to have a smarter goal. So you take the same smart principles, you have to have the E and the R. E is emotions, R is rewarding. You have to have a goal that sets up a level of emotional impact that the thought of you missing your goal brings you to tears or anger or frustration. It's okay, you know. It, it, for example, for today's today's podcast, I was so excited to be here. I rolled out of bed at four a.m., checked all my lights, checked my mic. I was like, I have to make sure I'm ready for this because to me, this was part of my smarter goal in life. And there's a lot of emotions invested, and the R, the reward, is going to be what's rewarding for me and what's rewarding for you is going to be different. But it has to be something that ties to your emotions. So I, in the book, I talk about you know my highest income year of life was 2016 and the reward at the end of that year was i wanted to buy a home i wanted to remodel a home and it was it was heavy on my heart and it took me through this entire process of adversity and challenges in the year and that smarter goal really helped set that stage for me to achieve that income that year
1: mm. So driving goals that drive emotions. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? How how do people make sure that they have goals that uh, are driving their emotions?
0: Yeah, really simple. If your goal doesn't scare you, you're not emotionally invested. And if your goal is solely to make money, I want to make 100 grand, I want to make 500 grand, there's no emotions tied into it. It's what can I do with the money I earn Mm -hmm. What is it that is going to allow for me? And for some people, it may not be money. You know, I talk about in the book, there's a component of, of, for me, it was was career advancement. And I knew I wanted to grow and climb in my organization. And the idea of, okay, I'm going to spend one more year without this opportunity to promote and advance. I was terrified. It wasn't what my, you know, in my mind, it wasn't what my life plan was with. And so for me to tie it into my emotions, it was really simple. I looked at my family. I said, I promised you. When you came to this earth, I was going to provide you a life that give you opportunities that I didn't have. And I know, just like we you know, we talked about earlier, you know you can go off the cuff. I can have a decent average year and have a decent average living, but that's not what I promised my child when she was born. And so mm-hmm. to me, that was probably the biggest emotion, emotional investment for me was, okay, I made a promise to you that I was going to give
1: you the opportunities I didn't have. And if I'm not working hard, I'm not holding on my end. That's awesome. So providing family can be a real emotional aspect to people's goals. For me, I feel like the emotional aspect of my goals has always centered around, uh, I guess what I would call legacy, Mm -hmm. in that I feel a strong need inside to impact people in whatever way that I can, in the biggest way that I can. I feel like I've been offered many gifts in life. I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways in life. I've had a lot of really great opportunities and I feel like a, a, a strong sense of obligation to be able to pay that forward in terms of being able to share my experiences, share my lessons, and, uh, and leave something in the world when I'm gone. And that, to me, is really inspiring. And I have a chance to do that in Vector, but I also feel the need to do that beyond mm-hmm. Vector. And, and you know, so that's been a powerful driver for me you know, with the goals that I've set. So I appreciate that element of uh, the, the E of smarter goals.
0: Thank you. I appreciate um,
1: that. Tell, tell us more about the R and how the R plays in. Yeah, so there's a rewarding component
0: to every sales goal you hit, and one of the things is is you have to have a sense of delayed gratification. And if you, the earlier you force yourself in life for delayed gratification, that R component of the reward of your goal is going to have a much more value. And you know, I, I look back and and if I had to pinpoint, you know, now what I wish I knew when I was 19 years old. And, and selling cutco and making big commission checks i was like you know let me just let me delay my gratification let me put something really big out there that i want and as i progressed in my career it became to the point was well really anything that i want in life for the most part i can go out and buy i can get you know if i really can't get it i mean i can finance there's a lot of ways to grab something and so now it became a component of okay what is this reward that i want that's at the end is it a new home is it a family vacation? Right. You know, I, I have a I have a guy who works for me, and we've talked about setting smarter goals and what the reward is. And so far, you know, he has a daughter in college where he's been able to write checks for tuition. That's a rewarding goal. Mm-hmm. And it was it was built before, but his his whole setup was: can I just do this without touching the money that's been saved? Mm-hmm. And let's let's put a plan together for that. Let's make that rewarding goal. Let's make that a smarter goal and let's see, let's reverse engineer it and identify what it's gonna take. So that reward for, again, for anybody, for every person is gonna be different, but the reward concept starts from delayed gratification. Can't go out and just buy stuff right now. And unfortunately the retail industry makes rewards really easy to get for anybody, anywhere. I mean, you know, you can see it, you know, no credit, half credit, whatever, you can buy what, what I'm selling. And uh, once you delay some of those rewards, they mean a lot more to you. Vacations. Sometimes, you know, I go monthly rewards right now. My smarter goals and a reward for me is, hey, I'm just going to have a small staycation with my wife. And you know what? This Friday, Saturday that we spend, we've created this time to ourselves. It's not lavish. That's rewarding enough to know that everything has been set in place. And there's nothing from work or from my goals that's pulling me down because I've accomplished them and I'm ready to move to the next one.
1: Yeah, you know, when I think about the idea of delayed gratification, that certainly has a lot of relevance to a lot of the young people working in Cutco and Vector, for sure, because we have a lot of young people that make quite a bit of money, that more than they've ever even thought about, and it's so easy to just say, oh, I want to go buy this, or I want to go buy that, and finances is one of the key places where delayed gratification pans out really well down the road if you do it right. If you do the proper amount of saving and investing when you're in your 20s and 30s, Right? It reaps pretty big rewards a little bit later on down the road in the type of lifestyle you can have, and also in the in the options that you can have as you build your you know your financial future. So that's one of the places where I see delayed gratification really tying in is you know establishing the right type of like saving, investing goals when people are young. And sales provides people with the opportunity to earn unlimited income. So you you have a chance if you want to be able to have nice things and save. Well, you can just set bigger goals and achieve more, and you know be able to do more uh, as you're progressing. So that's one of the cool things about being in sales. You know, Dan, as you're
0: saying that right now, man, I feel compelled to share with you. You know, one of the things that have uh, that come from that rewarding, and it's I read it about two three years ago. I read the concept, and I can't remember whose book, and I'm probably doing the author some injustice. But the idea is this. If I can't afford to purchase my reward six times, then I can't afford to purchase my reward. Hmm. And so that really tempts you because let's say you want to buy a $10,000, $15,000 watch. Well, if I can't buy that six times, then I have to wait till I hit that six-time mark or I have to get a lesser quality watch, right? So I've implemented that when I've been making the most money in my life. And I wish I would have implemented that when I was making the least amount of money in my life because I feel like I'd have more money later in life. So that's that's really come you know some of that delayed gratification. You know, it may not be six for somebody at a young age, maybe three, maybe five. But if you start thinking that way,
1: you start finding that reward a little bit more impactful. Yeah, it, it definitely should be more than one x, right? Be, when you absolutely. think about <laughs> being able to purchase something, right? If you're scraping to make a purchase of a reward for yourself, uh, you can't afford that, and you shouldn't be affording that. And it's so funny as you started saying, as you started saying the six x rule. I literally thought of a relatively expensive watch that's on my wish list right now is something I'm thinking about. (laughs) And I've been holding off, you know? But I literally thought of something, you know, that is a reward that I kind of wanted that I I set for myself. That I'm waiting until I achieve a higher level of my own goals before I I do reward myself in that way. But I, you know, I know people both in and out of the Cutco business who, you know, have a $100,000 car, but they don't have a million dollars in the bank. And you know, if you don't have a million dollars in the bank, you shouldn't be having a hundred thousand dollar car. You gotta be accumulating wealth, right, for your future along the way. And that definitely is one of the keys to, you know, establishing a long term successful career is uh, you know making sure that you're doing the right things with what you're earning. So that was cool. How about Anthony, you know, from a management perspective, let's talk about that for a little bit because you, you know, you led a sales team at paychecks, you've been a regional manager in medical device sales. How do leaders get the most out of their people? Yeah, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, that all sales leaders have, whether you're
0: managing the Cutco team or or whether, in my instance, I manage a a high-performing team of all six-figure individuals. And I think it's a three-part component. I think there has to be a component of having a vision, having a sense of gratitude, and having a sense of development. And I'll try to elaborate those as, as quick as I can. First, I'll talk about development. When we develop people as a sales leader... The number one mistake a sales manager does when they develop a salesperson in their organization is they develop them to the organization's goals, the organization's missions. Essentially, I'm developing you to fill the role I need in my life or on my team. And while there's a component of having strong development, you know, and I think back to Cutco days, you know having a key staff, developing an assistant manager, I think that's a strong component, but if that's the only component of development, you're not going to get the most out of your people. And when you develop somebody in a personal way, you create the true sense of leadership. So mm. I don't manage people to my goals. I coach them to their goals. I coach them to their future. And a lot of the times, that's just a conversation. You know. And, and I acknowledge some things with people. I say, look, Dan, if you were on my team today and to start this, this development conversation, I would say, Dan, I got to be honest with you, man. In the world of professional sales, 34% of the people turn over every year. That is U.S. public record. of millennial salespeople interview with another company within their first two years. Right, Millennial salespeople are going to be all the salespeople. So I, I start my conversation with that. I don't know how long we're going to be together, but the time we're going to be together, it is my job to help you get what you want, not only out of this job, but out of what you want in life. And you'd be surprised at some people's development is, I'm afraid of public speaking. I don't know how to manage money. I don't know how to plan for retirement. I don't know how to buy a home. Whatever that that personal development component is, once you do that, you can drive the professional business development as hard as you
1: want. But you have to show somebody, I'm here to develop you as a person. That is a brilliant insight, Anthony. And I am just constantly reminded of the old Jim Rohnism where he says, help people with their lives, not just their jobs. And I think it's a core philosophy that exists in the Cutco Vector organization right, is that we're helping to develop people to their, as you said, coach people to their future, correct? right, not just to hit their goals right now, but to develop for the future. And, and I, I once had somebody ask me a question that was along the lines of, you know, how does it feel like training all these kids to such, you know, great levels, and then, you know, almost all of them leave. And uh, I used the answer I had heard from somebody before, which was something along the lines of, well, it's a whole lot better than not training them and having them stay right? like Our goal is to develop people to the highest level they can, knowing some of them will leave, but that those that stay are going to be better and greater and elevate to a higher level and replicate themselves through others. And the whole element of the culture we create and developing leaders just sort of perpetuates throughout the organization. And I think that's a great insight for anybody leading anywhere, right? Is to what level can you consider developing your people beyond just the needs of your current company and the current role, but to that the future potential that they might have whether in or out of your business so i really like that you also talked about vision and gratitude anthony do you want to dissect those a little bit yeah absolutely thank you the gratitude component has been
0: it's an area that sales managers fall trap to right i'm really thankful and respectful to my top performers right hey man you help you if you're a top performer on my team hey man i really appreciate it i thank you sometimes we don't say thank you to the people that missed Sometimes we don't say thank you to the people that finish middle of the pack. And one of the things that I share with my team, you know, is, look, guys, yeah, I might be your regional manager. I might be your coach, your team leader, your boss, however you want to refer to me. But at the end of the day, I work for you. I'm here to serve you in a position of serving leadership. And part of that leadership is sometimes I say thank you. So when someone has a bad month or didn't make the money that they wanted to make, a simple phone call, hey, man. I just want to say thank you, dude. What are you thanking me for Anthony? One, I know you worked really hard last month. I know you didn't hit the numbers you wanted to hit, kind of missing where you're missing. How you feel about that? You know, they share. you give them the opportunity to vent their frustrations. But then I follow that up with simply saying, dude, thank you, because I appreciate you being here, because together we're going to get through this together. And you know, with all honesty, you not being here is 100% not a future I want to see. And so when I express that gratitude just for being here, just for showing up, right? You were my worst performer last month. It doesn't mean you can be my best performer the next month. doesn't mean you can't be my best performer the next year, right? But if you create that uh, position of gratitude for the entire organization that you're responsible for, you'll find that people that had a bad month, if they didn't work so hard, that simple, hey, my manager cares about me, my vice president cares about me, they're going to work harder the next month. Because nobody nobody wants to sit in a position where you're like, holy crap I just I let this guy down, I let this team down. He thinks I'm working hard. I joked around all month, didn't do anything. Mm.
1: That's the an easy way to identify that. Just call him thing for their time. That's a great idea. The I think this really applies well to anybody who runs an organization and thinking about when you have events, like you have a meeting, right? And at a meeting, we typically recognize all the top performers and they all get their name mentioned, right? But are you appreciating every individual in your organization in some way, shape or form? All the way on down to, if you can't find anything else, right? It's, hey, thank you for being here, right? If you're a vector manager and you're running a team meeting this week, right? Can you thank every rep for showing up and their presence and what they bring to the team just by being there, the energy they add? the atmosphere they add the support they add for others right just by being there that's a key part of being a great leader is you know constantly showing that appreciation and as i look at my own career and my own opportunities to elevate myself as a leader i think this is an area i really want to be working on is you know how can i create a better system for giving appreciation where it's more of a conscious sort of weekly part of my process right because i think about it when i run an event i think about it you know when i have a call with somebody but when i was running a vector office there was a weekly team meeting and there was that weekly appreciation right in my current role i don't necessarily have that same system in place to give more appreciation so that to me seems like a really good good part of what leaders can be doing i I like that you shared that
0: good good I, i think it's something that we uh I think it's something we all can improve on, and e- even though I, you know, I preach it, I know there's times where I, I've missed it. I'm like, man, I got to get better at this. I have to thank somebody for being here because they're here for a specific reason, and we're going to uncover that together. So, yeah. How
1: about the vision component that you shared earlier?
0: Yeah, to get the most out of your Salesforce, people want to follow a vision that they see themselves actively partaking in, but they want to believe in the vision and. There's times where I've been in positions where I've worked for an organization or I've had a manager or or, or, or a a sales leader that I didn't necessarily believe in the vision they were sharing. And it was because their actions didn't allow me to believe in that vision. Mm -hmm. Once you become a sales leader, right, Dan, you and myself, we're great salespeople, right? If you put us in a position to sell a product, sell a service, sell something, we can do it. Can you sell that vision with sincere honesty and a humble approach? And sharing the vulnerabilities that come with it. I think once you can sell that vision, showing what's possible, sharing the vulnerabilities, and even sharing your personal vulnerabilities, people respect that and they believe, they believe in you and they buy into your vision versus the traditional way is hey, we're gonna grow 10% this quarter. Here's how we're gonna do it. No doubt, no fear. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna go, you know, our mantras, no matter what it takes, we're gonna do it. Well, that's a great mantra. But if your manager turns and says, hey man, honestly, there's gonna be some roadblocks on the road. There's going to be some peaks. There's going to be some valleys. There's times you're going to want to quit or give up on your goal. There's times I'm going to be frustrated. But we're going to work on this together. And at the end, we're going to, one, hit our objective. Two, we're going to grow professionally in ways we can't imagine. Three, we're going to make some money along this way. Right? But painting that vision and painting that road that there is peaks and valleys. It's not all roses and daisies.
1: Once you paint that vision, people buy into it and they want to work with it. That's a great insight as well, Anthony. And when I think about the idea of selling the vision to other people, it has to be done in a way that's congruent, right? There has Mm -hmm. to be congruency from the leader. They have to be bought in themselves and sold that they can do it themselves. And a part of how I feel like that happens is in the planning stages. When a leader is establishing a goal and dissects that goal to such a level that they truly understand the path to get from here to there, how they're going to do it, right, they see the, the sort of steps to get there, and they believe in every step, it's much easier to believe in the larger vision, the larger goal, when you'd have it dissected and planned really well. And that process on an annual basis is something I would go through with very big goals in Vector that I could share with my team where I think they did buy in, right? Even though we were setting these big goals, they could see that I understood how we were going to get there. And they they did buy in. And it creates a higher level of motivation and inspiration. And then you also talked about the sort of vulnerability. So along the way to achieving our goals, one of the things I always did is I had weekly goals And, you know, we would have a a bi-weekly meeting with our our top people, our key staff, right? right? You remember the term Mm -hmm. key staff from Vector. And at the key staff meeting every two weeks, I would share our goals and our actual where we were, right? And when it was off track, right, it required me to have that vulnerability to say, hey, we're not hitting our goals right now, right? Let's talk about some of the ways that you guys think we can move ourselves back onto the right trajectory, And so I was vulnerable as a leader to share that we weren't hitting our goals in those moments, but the team was involved in saying, well, how about if we do this? Or how about if we do that? And planning, how could we move ourselves back onto the right track? So there was that element of involving the team in the vision and then staying on track for the vision that got people to really buy in. And and I think that concept could be applied in a lot of different organizations at at, uh, whatever level people feel like is appropriate. I
0: mean, just you painting that right now, right? It makes me excited, wishing I was part of that vision that you had. I mean, we, we weren't on the same team, but you you hear that and you want to be part of that team. You mm-hmm. want to be part of that vision. And I mean, that's, that's great stuff there.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, Anthony, this podcast is about changing lives. And I'm just interested in, you know, as we wind down here, as you look uh, into your future, five years, 10 years or more down the road, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? The entire concept of creating catapulting commissions and writing the
0: book was to just create the platform to influence and inspire a larger audience, right? I'm looking for the next person that says, hey, I can get to where Anthony's at. I can get to where Dan's at. I can get to where some of the greatest people in Cutco or any industry are. I just need needed someone to coach and guide me there one of the people in my organization, you know, I took her from a $60,000 a year and I five X her income within a 12 month period. And I'll tell you one thing, Dan, that there was the single most gratifying moment in my entire leadership career. I took someone five X to an income that she didn't even think was possible. And it really was just the fundamentals and principles of working with somebody concepts we've talked about in the book and, and developing that moving forward. Can I inspire somebody else? Can I motivate somebody else to see there is a bigger possibility and you're not going to do it alone. And sometimes you need somebody in your corner rooting you on. You know, I didn't come, my background, and if I could, I didn't have the perfect background. I didn't come from the best neighborhood. I didn't go to the best elementary school. And there was a lot of things that if I was to go by conditions in life, you know, I had every reason set to fail and somehow, shape, form, or another, there was always somebody there at a specific time in my life, pulling me forward and teaching me the next step and teaching me to be greater. And that's exactly what Catapulting Commissions is. It's Catapulting Commissions, achieve your next sales goal. If I can help you hit your next sales goal, I promise you, you'll be a better person in the long run. And that's what the future mission is. And how can I influence people? It's consistently, it's doing the podcast, doing the coaching, doing the keynoting, sharing concepts and I really, I get, I get jacked when people have reached out to me and said, hey, man, I, I took the smarter goal concept or I took the, the, you know, what if I failed mentality to my next goal and I hit and I achieved it. And I'm just trying to influence
1: that one person at a time. That's awesome. How can people follow you if they want to find you on social media or your podcast or anything else?
0: Yeah. So Catapulting Commissions podcast, it's available on iTunes and Spotify right now. You just Google Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. My website's anthonypgarcia.com from there you you'll find everything from my book, my audiobook. Uh, I have an upcoming catapult and commissions course, but social media is super simple. Anthony P Garcia 99. Shocker, there's a million Anthony Garcias and I couldn't get that name, so <laughs> my, <laughs> my full name's Anthony Paul Garcia and my football college number was 99 and it's just never left for me, so it's Anthony P Garcia 99 on all platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter just drop off the 99 is too many characters.
1: All right. Outstanding. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your time on the podcast. I, I, there have been some great insights and ideas that have come out of this, and I'm really appreciative of your time. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. That was Anthony Garcia, everyone. I loved how he kicked off by talking about the importance of accountability, and in particular, how accountability is driven when you feel part of something bigger than yourself, and the importance of embracing the team aspect of being in any sales organization. Anthony talked about the importance of preparation and that part of work ethic. It's sort of the unseen part of work ethic and the importance of ongoing learning to become great at what we do, the science of sales. Such great concepts for people to think about. I like where he talked about the psychology of hitting goals and bringing in the emotion of the goals. And on that note, I really want to recommend a blog that I wrote. It's on my website. It's dancassetta.com. Just click on blog. And right now, uh, as of now, it's the top one. It'll move down as I add more on there. But it's called Two Ways to Actually Stick with Your New Year's Resolutions. And I talk about the concept of the five words. And I talk about the concept of vision statements. And what these two things do is they bring in the emotion of goals that anthony talked about and they also create strong and consistent reminders so that we're constantly reminded of the goals and how we'll feel when we achieve the goals and it it really brings in that emotional aspect that anthony discussed as a critical element of goal setting smarter goals he put it not just smart goals but smarter goals I love where Anthony was talking about the leadership perspective of helping other people. And he talked about having a vision that people believe in. He talked about the importance of gratitude and making people consistently feel appreciated. And then the element of development that we're helping to develop people beyond just the need we have, the goals we have in the company, but helping people elevate coaching them up to their future. And in the end, Anthony offered up that impacting people is the most gratifying part of what he does, and I think that's true for anybody that's achieved a leadership role and uh, you know is impacting other people that you get so much more out of what you bring to others than the achievements that your own achievements and the reality is that your own achievements will be greater when you devote yourself to leading, impacting inspiring other people. Anthony said there was always somebody there in his life to help him and take him to the next level. And I think for any of us that achieved any level of success, it's important to realize that none of us would have got to where we are without those that went before us and have helped lift us up. And it is our obligation, it's our responsibility to the world to pay that forward in a lot of ways and help other people as well. I hope that leaves you inspired for today. Hope you enjoyed getting to know and hearing the stories and insights of Anthony Garcia. Thanks very much for supporting the podcast, everyone. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It is much appreciated. Uh, That helps spread the word about the podcast to others. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.